Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. When Adam joined Link 80, there was a bit of a changeover happening. Some members left, others joined. The sound of the new version of Link 80 wouldn't be fully realized until The Struggle Continues, released in 2000. One of the players in this new Link 80 was saxophonist Steve Borth, who brought a lot of skill and talent to the group. After Link 80, he also joined another band in transition, RX Bandits, previously a third-wave-style ska band, but now full-on punk rock prog. Today we chat with Adam's old bandmate Steve, we discuss his bands and even dig into his father's musical history. It was really great to catch up with Steve, even though Steve FaceTimes me probably once a month from Denmark, at least. Um, sometimes we're able to get a word in edgewise around our kids, but usually, you know, it's always good to see see his face after all all these years. You know, he toured with me almost the the entire time. I think I did two tours without Steve. And then he was there with every, for every other tour that Link 80 did. Oh, wow. And then the one tour that uh, Dessa did uh, was with RX Bandits. And that was actually Steve's last tour with RX Bandits. Wow. So you, you guys have toured a lot together. Yeah. Pretty much every tour that I've done, Steve has done. So we share a lot of common history and we've slept in a lot of the same weird places. Have you kept in touch this whole time, you know, post uh, Link 80 years? There was a, a small lapse around um, when he left RX and was doing some of the Challenger stuff, but not a huge gap. And um, we've always kind of stayed in touch. All the Link 80 guys actually stay in touch pretty well. Oh, nice. That's that's very cool. Even though not playing music together anymore, we're still we're still family. Link 80 reunion win. <laughs> <laughs> so. What what year did you join Link 80? Was that like 99? No, it was actually in the spring of 1998, I believe. And I think my first concert was the Nick Trena tribute concert at the film. Really? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Wow. So you joined really close after me then. Yeah, that actually was my first show. Now, now that I think about it. And then the first tour that we did was, I think, soon after. And that was a six-month-long tour with, like, a two-week break. And that was U.S., like, two times, Canada, twice, and Europe. So that was my first taste of Link 80 lifestyle. What was that like to your first show, your, to 
be this tribute to a singer that you weren't even in the band with. It was, I guess it was surreal because I didn't really have a connection with Nick because I had never actually even met him. Um, I'd been around him because uh, I was telling Adam, I'd, we'd, I was in a, a band, like my first uh, like ska punk band was a band called Lististics uh, from Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And we played a show with like or on the, on the same bill as link 80 and it was at um one of the guys or uh, ernie from powerhouse's house or some it was like yeah some some hardcore uh festival deal but uh, but yeah but no i it was it was definitely surreal because it was sold out and i didn't really know nick so i didn't really have a connection with that and I think for me it was it was more of me starting a new chapter uh in my life. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to think I like looking back on it now it's 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 kind of strange to to start my career in the band like that on that note cuz it's like probably really emotional for the rest of the band. Exactly, exactly. And then but for you you're probably like, okay, I hope these guys like me. I hope I'm in this band. And then uh, I think MU3 yeah, there's bands that i looked up to that were playing the bill too and so like yeah and that was actually I, that was the first time i met mike park as well where was the show again it was at slims and sf and so who who all was on the bill it was link 80 me 230 blast bandits okay so ryan and barry's old band except for barry wasn't in the band at that point uh sammy what was his band called uh all bets off all bets off yeah um me 330 hoods hoods from oh yeah the hoods yeah that's right powerhouse yeah it was like a hardcore show yeah but i think that was it i hope i'm not forgetting but yeah that was the beginning of the chapter for me what was that show like for you adam um real weird because i mean i joined the band with nick still in it and then they were going to do one more tour with matt and then got the call from seth halfway through that tour that, that, that he'd left or was kicked out or however you wanted to call it and they were coming home. So I'd already put all this time and effort into joining the band. And then I got a call from Nick a couple days later, he was getting ready to start another band and he had called me up just to check in and see if I wanted to maybe play guitar. And then by the time I even thought about it again, he'd recorded a new band, which ended up being knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple months a couple of weeks later, actually, he died. And then it felt weird because it's like you still want to keep going because you, you know, you've already got, invested all this time and effort into it. And all the other people are, are still looking to keep going, but it's not the same thing that you invested in initially. And so it shifts. Mm. And it was a weird experience. I mean, Nick was probably the first person I knew at that age who died from like, you know, something really tragic. And, and also I'd, I'd gotten in a, in a fight with Mikey hood years before at a link 80 show, not really a fight. I got beat up. And, uh, (laughs) and so I was, I was on edge the whole show thinking that Mikey was going to want to fight again. (laughs) And he was actually really cool about it. He was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I punched you in the head. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. So 
I remember just um at that point I I guess we don't I'd only maybe done one or two tours, but that first tour I did was so brutal. That was the one where you guys like blew up two vans. Yeah. We blew up two vans. Everybody got super sick. Two vans. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> like got, a two separate on two separate days. Yes. So we started out with a 79 conversion van that made it all the way to Florida. We uh, threw a rod on that, bought another van, borrowed money from Mike Park to buy, buy another van. That van lasted seven days. It was an 84. Um, driving in the, you know, early morning, coming over a hill, the water pump had blown and we like fried the engine, seized it up. And then we had to take out a loan to get another van all in one tour. And that kind of set the mood for the whole band because then we had to continue touring to pay off the van we bought. And then for the next four years, we were basically just paying off that loan. And then yeah. literally, <laughs> like literally God. going out on tour. But so, so like, yeah. So, so Steve saying we went out for six months, like that's real. Like we, we toured like a negligible amount. <laughs> like <laughs> to our own detriment. Like you, if you watch videos of us playing, um, there's times where you can see that like, we look like we're at an office job. Like we're, we're all super burnt. Yeah. Like, like big bands tour for, you know, like periods like that, but they are touring and like with better accommodations. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because I mean, uh, you also have to take note that most of these shows that we played, we had a sign that we put up at the merch booth that said, we need a place to stay tonight. Like literally like straight up. And that's how I would say. At least on that tour, eight like what seventy percent of the time we were just staying at kids. more than that, yeah, ninety percent, yeah, staying at kids, <laughs> staying at kids' houses, like random kids' houses, and then most of the time it actually worked out fine, and the kids were nice, and uh, the parents were cool, uh, and there was only a handful of times where it was super awkward, and we would. I think one time we got kicked out of the house. Like the, yeah. the mom like woke up and we're like, what on earth is going on here? And just kicked everybody <laughs> out of the house. Like, oh gosh. Uh, yeah, that was fun. But yeah, but it, it looking back on it, I'm actually super thankful for doing all this because it, it makes you realize that, you know, people are in this to enjoy the music and they want to kind of give back to the musicians. And so they're like, of course you can stay at my parents' house. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it was an amazing experience to travel around the world and just meet random people and talk about music and, you know, share life with someone for 20 hours or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, me personally, like as rough as all of that was, like it was such a great ground eye view of like everywhere. Totally. Being able to be in people's houses exactly. rather than just going to sterile, like a sterile hotel room every night. And just rinse and repeat. Like no, totally. Every night we had no idea where we were going to end up. And like one night we'd end up in like a squat. And then the next night we'd end up in like a weird mansion. I remember that. Uh, I think I may, it may have been our first trip to England. We uh, we showed up and the first night we didn't have a place to stay. But these kids who were obsessed with. Uh, what was that skateboard? Those skateboarding videos. Uh, oh, was it like it was like Jackass, but. Exactly. The, the, the Whatever came before precursor. Jackass. The precursor. Yeah, exactly. And they were just literally just doing the insane, like 
throwing themselves off the stairs and just all everyone was cracking up and we're like, eh, that's kind of crazy, actually, dude. What are you doing? But that was our first 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 <laughs> night on tour. And we hadn't got any sleep. You know, we were just totally exhausted. We're like, oh my God, what are we doing? That wasn't even our first UK tour, Steve. That, okay, that, that was, was like our second. That was like the last time. But, but the thing I remember is waking up the next morning and, and one of those dudes, like the craziest one, was just like kind of like lounging in the living room. And in England, hot dogs come in jars oh. in like brine. Ugh. And he just pulled, yeah, he pulled a hot dog out and nobody was watching him either. He did this completely for himself. He took out a hot dog (laughs) and he swallowed it whole. Oh, just ghoul right down the gullet. (laughs) (laughs) Great house. What do you remember about me when you joined the band? Yeah. Yeah. What is your, what's your first impression of this tall guy on guitar? You're actually really nice to me. And I remember feeling totally comfortable with you. And I was, I kind of thought to myself, I can totally be myself around this guy. That's literally my first impression. Good. Cause I, I felt super standoffish when you first joined the band. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Only because I had like grinded so hard to get in. Yeah. And like really fought <laughs> against the odds to get in. And then you kind of got in real easy. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Like. I worked so hard to get into this band and Steve's just in like nothing. And then you were super nice. And then you're like, Hey, do you like far? I like far too. And then we like, when everybody would leave the room to go smoke cigarettes, we jammed far songs. Yes. And that was <laughs> awesome. That was like one of my most like early bonding memories with you. Yeah. That was definitely my far training for utopia. My Sacramento, uh, hard melodic emo, hardcore phase. Yeah. But I still listen to that stuff. Don't judge me. Hell yeah. So prior to Link 80, uh, you were in Lizdistics. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, that's correct. And were you in other bands too? Um, So that was, Lizdistics was my first taste of like a ska band. And and the reason why I joined Lizdistics was because I I was, like my, my first job ever was working at a dry cleaners. And I was like... It was a very basic job. And the one of the guys who worked there was in a metal band. He played drums. But he told me that he, one of his bandmates had another band, and it was ska, and they needed horns. And I was like, oh, I play saxophone. Uh, and it kind of, that's where it all started. And then I started playing with them. And then the... Re- Let's see. I got the, re- like, the reason why I got into Link 80 was uh, Mel from Lucky Strike had talked to Stoney and Stoney had said that they were looking for a sax player, I think. And I think that's how it all went down. And then uh, Mel <laughs> gave me Stoney's, I think I called Stoney first. And then, I don't know, I can't even remember how it all panned out, but I think I went for a tryout at uh, Soundwave Studios in Oakland. Yeah. And then I think you guys liked me. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy because I think one of the things with Link 80 before you and Aaron were the horn section was that the horns were always kind of an afterthought. Mm. Like they had like a rotating cast of of horn players. And really Aaron was the only one who was like kind of committed to being good at playing horn. Right. Everybody else was just kind of like, fa, 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 fa. Yeah. And uh, so once you joined, I feel like that's when we, you know, right before that, like on Killing Katie, Aaron was already like writing horn lines. Right. But nobody could really keep up. And then once he, we had another horn player who could actually play. Right. 
like you guys really elevated the band. Cool. Thanks, dude. <laughs> How would you describe uh, Lizdistics? Hmm. Lizdistics was. Uh... <laughs> oh man, that's a rough one. Great live. Yeah, but uh, it, yeah. So the singer Jim is a very exaggerated character, and he would do all these crazy thing, crazy things live. And honestly, it, it was. I think the first concert that I played with him, my parents came out and all their church friends and he did something. Told, oh my God. He like read, he was like reading a, a porn, a porn magazine as like spoken word and like, Oh yeah. And like, I, I, I feel like, like I got home and like my parents looked at me like, so they were so sad. They're like, Oh no. <laughs> and like but i remember thinking like i felt i was on the right path because musically i was i wanted to do this you know what i mean like i was deter determined and like i wasn't even thinking about jim or his antics i was just, okay this is what i want to do i want to play horn in the band and so i kind of let all that uh by the wayside but uh my parents were so sad i could see it in their eyes <laughs> I, got, I like remember opening the door and they just <laughs> so bad but uh yeah so but it was a the the style of music was kind of insane it was super fast punk rock but also like metal and uh slap bass a lot a lot of wow, nice. a lot of crazy stuff going on <laughs> but it was fun it was a it was a fun band it was my first kind of experience with a with a band like that so and then how enmeshed were you in the in the Sacramento music scene? Like I remember you played you played on like a Lucky Strike instrumental track. Okay, so Lucky Strike was had it as okay, so I don't know if they still do this, but uh in Sacramento at least most of the bands would practice in storage units. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you would go to rehearsal and then, you know, that orange door would be up and you would hear a band down aisle 34. And then you go over and check them out. And it was Lucky Strike was in the same spot. So we kind of became friends with them because they were rehearsing in the same spot as us. And uh, that's how we built a relationship with them. And and then I actually became friends, like close friends with all of them. Really sweet people. And then, um, but yeah, I, 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 play, I think I played sax. I can't, my, my brain is so shoddy sometimes, but uh, I know I played sax with them sometimes, but uh, we hung out quite a bit actually uh outside of even the band stuff you know with all those guys yeah and then did did you play with filibuster at all no i'd actually never played with filibuster they were like i always looked up to them because they were like the cool guys uh right and w like back in that time period they were the one of the bigger bands in sacramento and like lestistics like when i joined lestistics they were already in with those guys like because we played on kind of soon after i joined the band we were playing at cattle club uh like sold out shows it was like filibuster and uh biscuit and uh lististics and esd all these bands that i became friends with uh so there was like a there was a cool scene and like uh they the shows were crazy like looking back on it it was really fun really good times really super positive vibes 
it was still Cattle Club at that point. It wasn't Bojangles. Oh, it's Bojangles. Sorry, yeah, that was Bojangles. Okay. at that point, yeah. But I mean, still locals would call it Cattle Club because yeah, yeah. No, I think it was had just changed the name like soon after I kind of joined the Statistics. It was uh, Bojangles. Yeah. What was it like going from from the dynamic in Lestistics to Link eighty? Um, I mean, the dynamic was totally different because we were a touring band, and when you're a touring band, you kind of go into survival mode, like automatically, because you're just with these people twenty four seven for yeah. six months. So, like, I bonded with you guys like super quickly because we went on a six month tour together, you know? Yeah. So like you, you, you learn everybody's personality is pretty quick, you know? And, uh, I had good friends in both bands, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely a totally different vibe though. Like, uh, I, I, I think honestly, out of all the bands that I played with link 80 was the one I felt most comfortable with, like with all the members, I, I felt like I could kind of totally be myself and I could, talk to you guys about anything right i felt really comfortable with all you guys so um that was one thing that i look back on and i'm super thankful for i mean especially at the end like the last the last six people that were in the band yeah totally yeah exactly we'll be right back after this Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. What do you remember about our very first UK tour? I remember we played with the band called Soap. I think that was one of our first concerts mm -hmm. in London. We played with Soap, which was later Cap Down. And we were, I remember be, being really impressed with them and thinking like, wow, these guys are super tight, but also have a totally unique style. Um, and I remember how I thought it was interesting that they had dances like DJ nights, but for like rock that I'd never oh, yeah. experienced that before. Like for a ska, there was like ska nights where they would have a DJ playing ska or a DJ playing metal or a DJ playing rock. And, and most of those, most of the time we'd play, play our show. And then right after our show stopped, then the club night would begin. And then there would be some sort of dance afterwards but uh but i remember it being it was fun it was i'd never been to england before so it was a totally new experience for me and like i love england i love hanging out in england and i love i want to go more often still <laughs> yeah what do you remember what the accommodations were like on that tour i don't actually i i know that we we showed up okay correct me if i'm wrong I, we showed up in the van that <laughs> the driver had wasn't the right size or something like that. I remember being like, wait, what? How are we going to all fit into this? Oh, that was, that like... was a different, that was a different was tour. That... Oh my God. So yeah. I... This, this tour was with, we started with Johnny, the driver, the old guy. Was it Johnny? The... What about Bartram? That wasn't Bartram? Ba well, Bartram did the second half because Johnny couldn't go to the, couldn't and... go to Europe. So Bartram showed up in his ah. van, no windows. Yes. 
<laughs> no windows. <laughs> and and we'd been we'd been told not to bring sleeping bags because we were oh, told that's that right. we were gonna have hotels every night. Oh yeah, nice one. And we didn't. And we stole two blankets from somewhere, like paper oh, thin blankets. God. And all all of us would sleep under two blankets. <laughs> that's so crazy. <laughs> Oh, see, that's why you guys are so well bonded. <laughs> Spooning in the van. Yes. <laughs> we bonded. So that at that point, you know, in this, the late 90s and early 2000s, there's like uh, there are all these UK ska punk bands. Mm, yeah. Right. You, you mentioned Soap, which became Capdown. What are some of the other bands that you guys were uh, playing with in, in those years? What uh, Was it Lightyear? Yep. Lightyear, yeah. Um, who else was it? Um Honestly, I'm so bad at remembering names. Uh, but I, I remember thinking because the the wave in the states was dying down super slowly at that time. This is '98. Yeah. And I think at that time in England it was actually going up, like the 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 need for ska. Yeah. Ska punk actually, but um, but and that was interesting to kind of experience, you know, playing in idaho to like five kids and then going over to england and it being almost like pretty packed i think every night at least a few hundred kids at these venue like pubs usually and sometimes universities but uh but i remember having a really really good time with all the bands and usually getting along with everybody pretty pretty nicely Mm -hmm. do you remember um let's see do you remember sonic boom six yes of course what do you remember about them? But were they, when did they form? They, I think they were, they formed in 2003, but they were Grimace. I don't know if you guys played with Grimace. They were Grimace before that. Oh, we must've played with Grimace then because they were, they, they didn't form in 2003, did they? Yeah. Sonic oh, wow. Boom did. Yeah. That's weird. Because I remember, uh, some of the members were in another band. Yep. Before, like I'd met, Oh, Oh dude. What was that band? Uh, uh, five knuckle. What were they called? Yeah, five knuckle. We did a tour with them. It's a five knuckle. Yeah, those guys were awesome. But that was more like, oh, and you can't forget Howard's alias. Oh yeah, they were great. Oh my god, Matt Reynolds, my hero. So good. He has a new band called Salem. They just they just basically rip off Alkaline Trio. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I I I FaceTime uh, Matt. Not often, but I think every three months, just because oh, I nice. love talking to him so much. He's so sweet. Yeah. Did you guys feel like sort of like adopted members of that UK scene in the early 2000s? Because um, yeah. because it was like vibrant while, while you guys were in this period. And it was, it kind of leaned heavier too, kind of more in line with what you were doing. Totally. Right? Yeah. Oh, totally. No, I felt totally like that we were perfect match for that kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I, there was a few venues that uh, that that come to mind that were ex- exceptionally inviting. Uh, in Exeter, we played at the Cavern, and that was always a really nice time. Mm-hmm. Really nice people that worked there. Um, yeah, like I said, all the bands were really accept. You know, they they accepted us with open arms. I want to talk about um, the struggle continues because this is. Mm-hmm the first album that you guys are both like full on contributing members of the group at right in terms of its creation. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. And so a lot of people think about 
17 reasons when they think about Link 80. And um, Struggle Continues is kind of like a new era for the band, and it's a little different sound. And I know Adam has talked about this plenty of times, and I agree with him. It it kind of doesn't get the attention it deserves the way that um, 17 Reasons does. Mm. Tell me a little bit about the the path the path to that album because I feel like some of the path is sort of dealing with new members and sort of right. redefining what Link Eighty is supposed to sound like and what where your strengths are. Right. So basically, we can look back to the Nick Trainer tribute show because uh, there was a point where we decided that we needed to have a different vocalist uh, in the band. Yeah. And we we were just kind of brainstorming of who it could be. And one, one night when I was staying with, with Aaron Nagel, we were look, watching the tapes of the, the, the VHS of the concert uh, at Slim's. And then Ryan was the singing with Blast Bandits. And we thought, oh, that guy's actually got a really cool vibe, like nice presence and everything. So, I think we talked to the rest of Bad about it and like everyone agreed that we should have him try out. And then, uh, and that was 90. So yeah, I'm trying to get my timeline straight because I joined in 98. So, and then we recorded struggle continues in 99. Is that right? Was it that yeah. soon after? Well, there, there's a, there's a, a few little steps in there that are missing. We, we went and recorded a demo in Richmond. That's it. Do you remember that? I remember that. Tell me about that. <laughs> Tell everyone about that, please. Oh no. Uh, yeah. So, so we'd recorded the basically the the rhythm section. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure we record, recorded the horns too. And then uh, Stony tried to record some vocals, and it just wasn't it wasn't working. Uh, and I think we all just thought, okay, this. Yeah, we can't we can't do this. So, but um, just to take a step back, at the tribute yeah. show, Stony was the vocalist for the band. Yes, that's and correct. yeah, and even during or after that show, you were already thinking like he's not cutting it, or not you specifically, but the band. Yeah, yeah no, no, I was like, this is awesome. I'm playing this band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it became apparent for any of us until um until we did that recording. Because yeah, exactly. my, and my, my thinking on it is that you're playing these shows, you're playing on crummy PAs, you're focusing on what you're playing and trying to make sure you sound good and, mm. and hoping that everybody else is doing the same. Right. And so you're not, you're not really paying attention to the vocalists. If there's sound coming out of their mouth, you know, you're just like, okay, cool. He's got it. Yeah. But it's not until you put it under the microscope of recording and then you're like, Ooh, this is not good. And that it's crazy because like all of the projects that I work on now start kind of in the studio. So, you know, from the beginning, we kind of know what everything sounds like. Yeah. So it's crazy that, you know, we toured for a year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know that is so weird. And, and it's also, I think the other thing I think you're thinking too, especially in that kind of music is like, what's the live energy like, you know, how is the stage presence? And I think the lead singer mm. too, like, that's a, like a huge importance and you, you almost like you're almost thinking uh, uh prioritizing that over the sound that is unless it's right. really, until it's time to record then it's like then you find out right what's going on <laughs> what's really going on yeah 
<laughs> and then there there was one other step in there on the road to Ryan joining the band. Um, he had started a new band that was like a Blast Bandits offshoot called OFS. Okay, and, that's and right. He yeah. sent the demo to uh, Aaron. Right. And he was real stoked on Ryan singing on it and was like, we should get this guy to sing. Okay. Okay, cool. I don't remember that part. Yeah. But then uh, Ryan ended up being a perfect match because he was so fun to to be with on the road and such a nice kind of calming character to to have around uh amidst the chaos you know he was always wild but also you know you could tell when you talked to him that he was listening you know so what was the what what happened in terms of replacing stony did you guys just say like hey we got another guy or you know how did that work i honestly can't remember how it went down adam we uh yeah longfellow was playing at bojangles oh is that what happened and so we all went to that show okay. and we had like a band meeting outside whoa and we were like crazy and told him he was he was out but the hard thing was is that the van and trailer were in his family's were in his name, name. <laughs> <laughs> awkward so then we had to take care of that and that was hard and then both of our families myself and steve have both uh bore the burden of being the people to take care of the van payment and having the, oh, the yeah. loan in our names. Damn. Um, I did it for a period of time and Steve's Steve's dad did it for a period of time. He did, didn't he? That's crazy. Yeah. It's real nice of him. So was Ryan already for sure in when you let Stoney go? No, no, but you had him in, you had him, we had him in mind. You had him in mind. Okay. I was just curious about that. Okay. Yeah. And when I, when I joined the band, I had to beat out like a slew of people. <laughs> To play guitar, like guitar hero. That I think that that's also why, like when Steve was in so quick, I was like, "What?" But then Steve was so great that I was like, "Oh, that's fine." But it was like, I remember, like I even auditioned on vocals for a while. And okay. did you come to the practice that Jimmer came to? No. So Jimmer from Lestistics came to try out on vocals for Link Eighty, and he finished all the words to the entire song during the first verse of the song. <laughs> <laughs> which gives you an idea of how much faster Lestistics plays than Link 80. <laughs> I want to step back. I want to talk about your dad as a musician. Yes. This was something I, I didn't really realize until more recently. Okay. And uh, just lead us through it. Like your dad has been a, a singer songwriter in the, in the Christian music scene for a really long time. Right. Yeah. Basically I think when he was, 17 years old, he wrote his first kind of full-on, you know, this is 1969, so it was that cantata, like, psychedelic, full choir, crazy instrumentation, you know, it, it, The Great Controversy, I think, was his first one that he did it in 1969, and it's actually, if you look on, like, psychedelic rare albums, it's, it's, it's included on that wow. uh, list, but... um. But yeah, he basically, when he was a teenager, he signed with a kind of big time producer who, you know, helped him start his career pretty much. And then and then from from there on, he recorded albums up until I'm trying to remember the last one. Yeah, from basically 1969 until 83 or 84. Yeah, I think he recorded albums. Nothing soothes the soul like Jesus. That's one of them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and 
it's it's cool for me to to listen back and realize how good he is you know like you know like when you're a kid you don't really know sure but uh but we would actually tour with my dad um like the whole family because he was playing at churches and stuff so it was like fine for to have five-year-olds chilling they were earlier concerts because it was church so you know they would probably be done by seven o'clock so uh but i i I actually started touring when i was five or something i I can't remember for (laughs) for sure the age but we but we would do the same thing and like later on i realized okay this is why i'm super comfortable with staying on this random kid's couches because i've done this before in a different context when i was way younger (laughs) what kind of memories come to your mind when you think back to those years i mean we had we had a big dodge van and my dad would have the pa system in the back and it was just, yeah, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And then we would travel from city to city in the States. And we, like, we would literally go, you know, to the South. Like, I remember, I think we got into a car accident in Louisiana. But I remember people being, being super happy, you know, about my dad singing. And, like, I remember him playing a backing tracks on, a, like, a cassette. So he'd have a sound system and then he'd have a tape machine playing his backing tracks. But he'd be playing guitar and singing over that. But um, it's actually I had I have like really positive memories from all that uh, that time period. I find this particularly interesting because um, in the '80s, probably after the period of that your dad was um, a musician or was you know actively pursuing it, that's when you really start to see the Christian music scene um, build up into an industry. So he's right. yeah, yeah he's he's part of this. So it's not really much of an industry in the sixties to early eighties for, to what I understand. Yeah. Not that I know of honestly, like uh, he had a really hard time trying to get radio stations to play his stuff because he, uh, he always did something a little bit different. And, and he, we, we lived in Corpus Christi, Texas for a few years because his, his producer lived in Corpus Christi. So like he recorded a lot of his albums with, with, um, like a Tex-Mex band. So oh, like wow. the, the, the studio that, that it came from was Hacienda Studios. And actually, I'm pretty sure that Selena recorded there as well uh, because she was from Corpus Christi. I think, so, I don't know at what to what uh, extent that she recorded there, but um, but it was that, from that whole kind of, that that accordion, you know, it was a mix, mixture of like honky-tonk and it, Tex-Mex. It was this, this crazy mix, but... Uh, and with my dad's kind of country style, so uh, or country folk kind of vibe, it was interesting living there at that time period. And I remember my dad becoming like pretty successful, and then um, and then my uncle got sick, and then we basically moved back to Sacramento because, like, for my uncle, uh, and that kind of became like a period of time where my dad just kind of stayed at home with us, uh, mm. and then years later. Um, I recorded some stuff with my dad when I ha- when I got my recording gear, and then I basically talked talked him into taking some of the songs that he recorded back on his last demos, and then re-recording them with some of my friends. And that's who he actually released an album uh, with a bunch of my friends. So, isn't the story that you uh, stumbled upon, like you were unaware of this demo, and then you found it? Oh, totally. Yeah, no, it's because my dad my dad ha- had it in some shoebox, and then he. He was like, hey, check this out. And then he played it for me. I was like, these are amazing songs, Dad. Like, you need to try to get these out there. So uh, so we recorded that album. And then and then uh, 
that was actually really fun for me to kind of piece something together because it was, you know, friends in New York, friends in LA, friends in San Francisco. It was recorded in all these different areas around the States and then kind of brought back together in Sacramento and we uh, compiled it all together and made it into a, uh, an EP. What, um, what musicians did you get to play on that? Uh, so Gunnar Olson. Amazing. From The Exit. Played drums. He's also played with some a little-known musician, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. He was, yeah, he played with him. <laughs> and Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. No big. He plays in uh, 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 Mater, Mater's new band. I can't remember the name of it right now. But uh, the, guy, the singer from Tool, he's in his new band. Uh, he's played with... Oh, put, Mike, Mike Snow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's in, he's in that band. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, but then there was uh, Ray Hasildo, uh, who is an amazing piano player, organist, and uh, Jeff from, he used to be in Tiger Army. Uh, he, he played stand up bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Chris Murray Combo a long time ago as well. He played stand up bass. And then, uh, who else played on it? I'm going to feel bad if I forget. Um, and I played saxophone on it, and then I actually had some of the guys from Lististics play horn on the uh, on the album too, bringing it back to the roots. So um, a lot of these musicians recorded their own parts, but um, did you come to Sacramento to work with your dad? Yeah, um, I was. It kind of worked out where I record like we we had recorded pretty much everything, and then I kind of came for Christmas, I think, one year, and then we just we went to this. Uh, studio with uh, with ira and in sacramento at his studio and finished up all the vocals and then and then we sent it off to some other friends of mine to to mix to mix it and everything wow so did so did you kind of basically take his demos and then sort of send it to these musicians and say kind of do what do what you do yeah it was like this is a vibe that we're kind of going for on this line blah 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 um but yeah it, it was fun it was a fun experience for me because I love working with my dad and like, I always want to see him getting more out there musically. So it was a good opportunity for us to kind of do something together. What was your dad's reaction when you showed him the, the song, the songs that you had created with these musicians? Unfortunately, I wasn't there to actually be with him when he first heard the songs, but I like, we would correspond via like FaceTime, but he was super happy with it. And, and, um, Everyone was super gracious to work with, and uh, I think everyone had a good time working on it too. But but he was really happy with the outcome. Your dad, I'm I'm assuming your dad was supportive of your uh, being a musician your whole life. Definitely, yeah. My parents are incredibly supportive in general. Like I think I don't think I've ever felt like they would say, "Oh no, you shouldn't do that." You know, like they would never, even if they thought it maybe it was some something wasn't a good idea, they would never pass that on to me kind of they wanted me to mm-hmm. make my own decisions and such and like i've never felt any pressure at all from them uh either way but uh, but they you know i think they were they're happy that i'm doing music you know and that i'm still pursuing it and everything so them being religious and you being in in these bands that maybe mm. were maybe not lyrically in line with their beliefs right. that, that was never like an issue that they expressed to you no, never, never, never. Like they, I think that uh, they're a good example of what I think a Christian should be. It's like someone who's totally non-judgmental and 
just loving and kind, you know, and like, I've never seriously never had any feelings like that. They were like, Oh, what are you doing with your life? Like, why would you hang out with these people or anything like that? Never, ever. Yeah. Your parents have always been super, super sweet and supportive and non-judgmental. They've always treated totally like, you know, me as just like a weird sketchy band member. (laughs) They treated me like a son. It was really awesome. Totally. The, the kind of music your dad wrote um, in the 60s, 70s, and, you know, whatever, 80s, do you feel like that was sort of the message, you know, the, the music too was to be, you know, was kind of more coming from that point of view of the love of Jesus rather than the preaching judgmentally? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, like that, that was kind of my parents' whole um, mission statement. Like the, my dad actually opened a, a mission in uh, – Broderick in a, in a not so great area of Sacramento where he and my mom would feed homeless people. And like that, that's what they did when wow. we were like newborns, they opened this spot up out of total faith. And then they just fed, you know, uh, people that were on drugs and homeless and they would just, and they would just get donations. It was just, uh, wow. It just worked out because that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm I'm somebody who grew up in a religious family, so I have some familiarity with Christian music. And mm. it seems to me like the the musicians that were playing in the 60s and 70s were that was usually the message and a lot of them were like ex-hippies and stuff like that. Right, were, totally. Yeah. Were very um into the the love, you know, the feeling and the message of love and then I kind of feel like the when the industry built up is when you started to see a shift towards like the music being more, more preachy, I guess, in a way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think, you know, about all the lyrics and like, I was, you know, I, I always wanted my dad to, to kind of reach out to a broader audience. And like, that's why the demos that, that he recorded were, were non-Christian songs. And that's why I was oh. very interested in trying to, put that out into the world as well because i was like all of the stuff that he'd recorded before pretty much to uh that he released to the public was uh christian songs you know so that was a a a motivation for me to kind of try to push him to be like hey dad like try something else too (laughs) yeah like see how that works out was that the only recordings or demos you were aware of that were you know not not religious exactly yeah yeah totally did he not put them out because of that, or did he just not get to it? No, I th- I honestly think that life just happened. You know, like all this um, other stuff. I think that was honestly in the time period where my uncle had gotten sick, and then I think it all just kind of turned into something else. We moved back to Sacramento, and then when you guys were little, you and your sister did was did your dad stay home with you? Yeah, he did actually. He uh, he would drive us to. Like, uh, my parents didn't have much money, but they really wanted us to go to, uh, like private school, like Christian school. So we went to, we were actually Seventh-day Adventists. So we, we went to a school in Carmichael and we lived off of, um, Riverside Boulevard. Uh, I guess that's Midtown. So my dad would drive us every day, like half an hour to Carmichael, drive back home and then come and pick us up at three and then do all the meals and everything. And my mom was a nurse, so she would work. Uh, and then he would kind of take care of us at home. But yeah, we actually home. We were homeschooled actually until 
we were in second grade. So I didn't start school until I was in second grade, like officially. Okay. Homeschool kid. Homeschool kid. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. When did you start playing sax? How old were you then? Uh, Fourth grade. How good were you right away? Amazing. Oh, seriously. (laughs) It's pretty crazy how fast I get. No. I just want to share this really quick. One of my favorite things when we'd be hanging out backstage before a show and you'd be warming up you do this thing where you go, mama, listen. And then you play <laughs> hot cross buns on your saxophone. Oh my God. Like really poorly. So nice. <laughs> to this day, pull- just the thought of that cracks me up. Like it's so funny. <laughs> no, but when we're, I, it's a horrible, like a musical joke. And then I do it sometimes when we're recording in the studio, like whenever they ask me to check my horn, I'm like, do, do, do. <laughs> and like, I can tell like half the people in the band are like, Oh my God, stop. And then uh, other half are laughing. So 50, 50. And then, and then just playing yakety sax. There was that. <laughs> and then, and then I, when you guys were serious and would check, Aaron, mm-hmm. you would usually check with a horn line from a Outcast song. Oh yeah, Equimini. Yeah. So good. Can you remember being in the fourth grade? What about the saxophone specifically you were attracted to? Well, so going back to my parents, my mom actually played alto sax and I saw, I think, I I can't remember, you know, she told me that she did and I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll try that because she was super into Motown and stuff like that. So uh, that was the reason why she wanted to play sax. And yeah, I just wanted to be like my mom because I'm a nerd. Uh, (laughs) And, but then uh, I switched from alto to tenor. In I think fifth or sixth grade, but then yeah, then I just stuck with tenor because I think I like the tone of that better. But um, yeah, I'm a band band kid. Yeah, and then what? At what age did you first hear like ska punk type music or ska even? Um, so I actually saw the Scatolites. I think the Scatolites was the first ska band that I saw play ever. Wow! And that was at the Tibetan Freedom concert. In 1996, at Golden Gate Park, mm. uh, Beastie Boys, Bjork. Uh, it was a, su- such an amazing show. A Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> that was so good. Rage Against the Machine in '96. Oh my god. So, so this was this was before you found your dad's old ska demo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Incredibly enough, no, but yeah. So, yeah, Skylights was the first band that I saw, and then I think it wasn't until I really. Yeah, actually, I don't think it was until I talked to uh, my friend at the dry cleaners about being in a ska band. I was like, oh, I should check this out. Uh, And then I started to, I think the first CD that I bought was The Specials. Oh, nice. Uh, Nice. So yeah, that definitely was the first first one I got. And then, um, yeah, then I started nerding out a bit on stuff. But then I think for me, like uh, la- later in the late 
90s or like after we had toured in England. So basically when 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 we were touring England, I started getting into Rocksteady and the earlier um like the Trojan Records compilations, basically, because those were in all the stores in England. Yeah. And you could buy these three three box set CDs. And oh, neat. I bought the Rocksteady one, and I bought the Lovers, and I got the the Dub one. And that, that was definitely my introduction into this whole new world that I'm still mm-hmm. kind of going down now. I remember you buying buying that box set, those those box sets. And they were so expensive for us at the time because we were broke, but you just like had to have them oh but they're so good and that it's yeah it changed my life actually those ones it totally changed the course of your of your musical taste totally and now i'm gonna go to jamaica in february yeah. to work with some jamaican musicians yeah it all full circle tell us about that so um i am working with this singer uh azizi romeo and it's um max romeo his son oh, okay. uh, and he's 22 years old and we're releasing uh an EP, like a vinyl uh, four-song EP, coming at probably spring, and then we're we're going out there. I'm going out there with some friends to perform with him, but also to shoot some music videos. Yeah. We're recording some. Uh, my friend uh, Andreas uh, Johnson, he's a filmmaker. He's going to come out, and we're starting documentation of this whole kind of c- connection with Danish musicians and Jamaican musicians. That's my kind of goal is to bring these two worlds together because yeah, I live in Denmark now and I've lived here for 11 years. Oh my God. So, so there, is there a connection? Is this, I mean, you know. now there is because I'm like, <laughs> no, they actually, no, there actually has been before because there was a singer um, called Natasha. She, uh, she was traveling to Jamaica quite a bit and she actually won a, a dance hall contest, like a folk vocalist uh, contest. And so, uh, sh- she was getting really popular, and then she actually, unfortunately, got into an accident, uh, and she passed away in Jamaica. Uh, in, in, wow. And but but that there is definitely still a strong connection with uh, with Jamaica and Denmark. There's this kind of you know back and forth thing that, that has happened over the years. But um, I'm hoping to just kind of continue it. How did you end up in Denmark? I feel like a bad friend not knowing this. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is related to a project that I had called Satori that um, I started when I was in our expandits. Um, uh, I think in 2003, I recorded some demos with Matt Embry at, on his uh, Tascam 388 tape machine. This goes back to my obsession with the Trojan Rocksteady box sets. I wanted to record one of the songs that was actually on that Rocksteady. I wanted to cover it. And so... You know, I, we had some downtime because I was staying in Seal Beach and then Matt said, OK, let's record some tunes. And so we recorded this kind of three song demo and then Satori became this kind of this project that was had 50 to 80 members. I can't I can't even remember how many people have played in it, but I, I wanted it to be something where I could have a community of people uh, that could kind of play with me all over the world. So I had like satellite bands in England and in Denmark and in Boston and in New York and San Francisco and LA. Uh, and everyone would kind of learn the songs before I showed up. And then we would play a few shows together or do a tour. So I had set it up a way where it was pretty cost efficient because I would, would be the only one that would need to travel pretty much to get to the, the area that we needed to be. 
Uh, but one of the tours uh, was set up in Denmark. And then my now wife, Heidi, was friends with the guys that were in the the Danish, like the Danish Satori. And so we basically met on a trip out here when I uh, was out, uh, playing some shows out here. Cool. And then we did a, a long distance relationship for like a year. And then we decided to go for it. And now I'm here. Now you got a family. And I got two kids. Do you have dual citizenship? I don't. I'm a temporary resident because uh, the yeah the the system is pretty tight here with the with immigration. So since I'm not a um, a how do you say it? I, since I'm a musician who doesn't have a normal job, I can't really apply for permanent residency mm-hmm. uh, as of yet. So yeah. I have to reapply every five years, I think. Mm, okay. Which is, yeah, kind of weird, but that's the way it is. We kind of brushed over our expandits. Um, oh yeah. Let's let's just kind of j- jump into that. So, w- you joined. What what year did you join, and and how did you get in that band? Uh, okay, so that was in, I think, two thousand two. It was when I joined our expandits. Um, basically, I had. The their their ex manager had contacted me to play on some demos, I think for pro- progress, and I I wasn't able to do it, uh, but Steve Choi had joined before me, if, like I don't know how long before, maybe six months or something like that. So, but I was I was really close with Steve Choi, and he was coming over to a house that I lived in uh, in Albany. Uh, and we were hanging out quite a bit and I was listening to progress quite a bit actually uh, right before I joined the band. And I was, I was really into kind of what they were doing and there became an opportunity for me to join the band. And I took it because I was super into the direction that they were going musically. And mm-hmm. I thought it would be a challenge for me to, to, you know, jump in and, and see what I could do with my musicianship skills. What was the, what was the state of link 80? Had link 80 broken up or did you leave before that? No, it, we were, I'm trying to even think what happened. We were Adam had you. Yeah. Were you in the, band what 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 happened there i i had left like nine months prior to join lucky okay. strike nine months okay so crazy. i moved yeah. to sacramento quit quit link 80 sold all my guitar gear bought bass gear played in lucky That's right. Strike That's right. for like two or three months then they broke up liz broke up with me and then we were just i was just stuck in sacramento working like a dead-end job and then okay, I like beg beg my way back into the band, and then and I was then like, you, "Peace up!" <laughs> you guys had a UK tour booked, but no guitar yeah. player. That's right. And oh, all right. So it was a couple I weeks out, and so Nagel called me and was like, "Hey, you want to just come do this tour?" And I was like, "Absolutely!" <laughs> and like, got rid of my apartment, sold all my bass gear, bought guitar gear again, and uh, joined for that tour. And that was the only tour I think where we ever made money. I think we came back with one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did. We did really well on that tour and we were all feeling pretty hype. And then we came back to have the band meeting to be like, is Adam back in the band? Right. That's right. That's right. And it was like, everybody was like, yeah, sure. Adam's back in the band, but now Steve's leaving to join our expandits. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So that was when we pivoted to do Dessa. Right. Because we didn't want to have to find a new horn player to replace you. Because at that point, like our horn section was really good i mean for a two-piece horn section you guys covered a lot of ground plus you were doing a lot of backup vocals also right okay so So. what we're saying is that um link 80 broke up because of steve (laughs) (laughs) i mean link 80 never officially broke up oh okay it was it was more of a it was more of a we're gonna put this on hold and do another thing hiatus and then dessa never even officially broke up it just fizzled because nobody cared like okay. eight years in, or six years into that band. So, I mean, yeah, it just, it, you know, people, you know, find, you know, new priorities. There was never any sort of dissolvement because of like anger or hostility. No, I, I never felt like you guys were, I, I knew you were bummed, but I never felt like you were like, oh, Steve ruined my life. No, and, and everybody understood it. I mean, especially once we heard Resignation, like, we were like, this is so good. And I think, was the first time that you saw us pl- play with me and the band at the Warp Tour in San Francisco? Maybe, but I feel like I it can't was remember. Be- I feel like it was before that. Okay, okay. I mean, it all kind of blurs together because I, I saw you I saw you guys so many times. Yeah. Um, but I I just remember, like, no, no ill feelings i mean i think the at the very very beginning of it because rx had been originally the pharmaceutical bandits mm, and it yeah. was kind of like more socal ska right at first it was like why is steve joining this band because it was no, like, yeah, yeah you know that was our impression of it but then once we realized like what had happened with like progress and then eventually resignation it made total sense yeah good what was it like for you to join so this is the next this is the second band you joined where this is sort of a, a band in transition, kind of re- redefining themselves. So what was that like? I mean, the level of comfortability went up eons because I think the first the first tour that I did with our expandits was a European tour and we had a tour bus for ourselves. And I was like, okay, this is nice. After <laughs> staying in people's <laughs> floors to have a tour bus and like listen to cds in the back and chill out in the and go to sleep whenever we felt like and have a driver but um but it it was good vibes i mean it like i think it's it's strange to say but like yeah the two bands that i was in for the longest period of time both had a cast of mini you know so it was you know uh, trying to navigate that was not that Difficult for me because I was just coming in totally stoked. In both situations, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, we were, we were playing a bunch of shows and we're traveling around the world. That sounds fun to me. I'll do that. What was the uh, creative energy? What was that that whole experience like with our expandents when you joined? It seemed like they were um, really, really going for it in terms of, like, musical experimentation. No, totally. I think... I think uh, I think progress was mainly Matt and Chris that wrote it, and then I then then resignation was more Steve Steve Choi's idea started to come in, 
and that was a that was a, a, a nice shift, you know, with with the sound to have Matt and and Steve's songwriting come together, uh, and and then we wrote. I mean, uh, Chris Sheets wrote the horn lines, and you know some some synth parts and everything uh, on that album. Uh, but it was it was a definitely a fun fun time period. We we would just uh, write tunes in uh, Matt's mom's garage in Seal Beach and just play many hours in that in that little tiny space and write and we all listen to all all different kinds of stuff. But we a lot of us listen to very similar bands. You know, like we were into Blonde Redhead and uh, Dub and you know uh, Mars Volta and At the Drive In. You know, so there was we all had similar tastes in music. So I think it was nice to have that. We all, you know, similar references to, to take from. So it was, uh, you know, a nice period of time. As, as horn players, what were they wanting from you? Were they like wanting you to be as? No, no, there wasn't. I, I think the only thing that I really remember was, you know, some of the members saying like, Oh, try to try to write catchy horn lines, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, uh, Chris Sheets really wanted to push um, writing, you know, technically sound horn lines that, you know, make sense melodically, but are interesting. And I, I really, you know, respect that uh, looking back on it. Uh, and I think, I think we were able to kind of bring something to the table that was somewhat unique, uh, but also went with the music um on that record but then i think and the battle begun is definitely my favorite record with them because with that one i was able to kind of i had just gotten my own recording gear like pro tools and you know whatever it was digi design um setup and so i was able to experiment quite a bit because they were in seal beach and then i would take the parts after they after we recorded it and then take them to my own home home studio and just kind of relax in my own time and and write different horn lines and like add little synth parts and some dubby weird delay and some crazy vocal parts and that was that was a fun time for me to to be able to contribute in a way that I could take it at my own pace I guess mhm I mean I think another one of the aspects of you joining as far as adding to their sound was your vocals Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, your your vocals are all over those two records, right? Yeah, I mean, we did a lot of three-part harmonies. You know, there is, if you listen to, I mean, both the records, but especially in The Battle Begun, we really got into it with the harmonies and uh, and trying to really explore what we could do with that. Um, and that was really fun. Like, uh, there is so many influences on both those records, you know. It doesn't really sound like anything else to me. Were those guys, uh, Matt and Choi, were they, um, would they come in with like these fully fleshed out songs or was it like a, a long process of experimenting and tweaking for those records? Um, I honestly don't totally remember. I, th- I think that they would jam together. Like I know that we, that we would jam a lot in that garage and then ideas would definitely come from that. Um, and and I know that Matt had his uh, Pro Tools set up in the garage, so I think he would hash out ideas and make kind of demos. I honestly can't totally remember <laughs> uh, exactly how it went went down, but uh, Matt and Choi definitely 
spent a lot of time together writing the parts. But I, I'm pretty sure that uh, a lot of the times they would come with kind of a foundation uh, and say, and then we would everyone kind of kind of build on that. What was writing like, in your opinion? Like, <laughs> just give a, a brief synopsis: writing in Lustistics, writing in Link eighty, <laughs> writing in in RX. Okay, so Lustistics. Uh, that was the first time where. I was using the saxophone in a way that I never used it before. I was just trying to kind of figure out how how can I make a saxophone sound good over this music, yeah. you know. And so I think the first song that I recorded was like very kind of voodoo glow skulls esque, like super fast, like da 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 da, like because I was just trying to. I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, and I, you know, I knew how to harmonize, and so like I basically just would lay down a few tracks and do some harmonies and they were like, Oh dude, that was awesome. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, everyone was happy. Uh, Link 80. It was more writing with Aaron. I think the, the whole time, uh, because we would rehearse. I don't know. It's, it amazes me that we would, I would drive from Sacramento. You would drive from Gilroy mm -hmm. to Oakland like twice a week or something three or times more, a week I, sometimes three times a week literally driving down the 80 for hours and it was at night and then I, would i drive back that's crazy yep it's so crazy to me now to think about how much driving we did but yeah. um but yeah so we'd rehearse for three hours i think was our uh time period that we would rehearse and then we would just go over everything just continuously like boom 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 and then when we were writing, I think Aaron and I would just be in the same room, and then we would just kind of come up with everything at Soundwave. I'm, that's what I remember, at least. That sounds right. Um, and then with RX, uh, I would go over to Chris Sheets' house because he would li he lived with his with his family still, and then we would just listen to the demos and and hash out uh, parts and try to figure out what sounded best, and then. I think I write better, or in that time period, I I wrote better in like rehearsal, like what like what we did with Aaron. So we would try to just, I would try to just remember whatever I came up with when we were jamming together. Yeah, and then uh, and then we would take it back and. But Chris was definitely more. Um, I think he would actually even write the parts out. Uh, he was definitely more music theory oriented. It's it's so weird to me to think that. Um... We we used to do these practices and have to write these parts, and then we would just have to hold them in our heads. I know. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm, okay, so 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 I I play in a band now. It's a it's called Guiding Star Orchestra, and it's a roots. It's a ten piece like roots reggae band, and it's just horns. So it's horn parts. Is the horn is like the lead singer, or the horns are the lead singer? Sure. And honestly, dude. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm definitely the oldest member, but I'm also the, the one who is like the worst memory. And I have to have like a little cheat sheet. Cause I'm like, okay. It, Cause it's three, 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 four part harmony sometimes. And I have to remember which is my first note. And yeah. once I get that first note, then I can kind of know where it should be going. But I'm like, oh my God, it was, this used to be so much easier, but I think it really has to do with touring because when you go on tour for you know three to six months you're it's just going to become second nature you know what i mean all this stuff is just like bleh, it's like a burp you know it's like you you don't even have to think about it right so and and 
the way that we do shows here in Denmark is, you know, you play a weekend and then there's like three weeks off, then you come back and then you do a rehearsal. So it's like very, you know, it's never, you know, you're, you're never just playing for two weeks straight, which is what you need to memorize the parts, I think. Or I do at least. <laughs> you said that it's all horns? Yeah. There's no vocalist. It's it's just horn parts. Uh, and we actually are working on our first album now. And uh, we should be finished in December. I think we're aiming for a spring release for our first album. But, but we have an EP out and we have some singles out. Um I'm really happy with the band. They're amazing guys. And they're actually also, some of the guys are from, they have ska roots as well. So like, it's all, it's all love. Uh, Denmark ska bands. Yeah. Well, so um, the Morton, the, the piano player, he was in uh, baby love and the Vandagos. And that was a band that was kind of my satellite band. So Morton actually played with me as a Tory when I came over in 2008 and 2009. So that's how I met Morton. And now Morton's in a few different bands, but he's in a very successful uh, dub, jazz, kind of super chill um, group called Bremer McCoy, which is it's just stand-up bass and piano only. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. amazing. So nice. But um, but yeah, so I do projects with with those guys hey everybody it's barry from the what podcast hey it's russ hey it's brian and we are giving away two tickets to bonnaroo 2024 these are ga plus and they include camping russ how do people get qualified we want to hear your top artists to play on the bonnaroo 2024 lineup call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out it's the what podcast thanks we have we all share a studio and that's where I'm in right now, in Norvest, in uh, Copenhagen. Yeah, it's it's a nice, I have a nice group of guys that I play with now, and I'm super happy to have people that share the same kind of uh, love I do for Jamaican music. We'll be right back after this. With our expandits, um, there was a point, right, where they kind of just decided, okay, we're, we're not a horn band anymore. Was that is that kind of what happens? If that was, it definitely happened after. Oh, so you left before? Okay. Yeah, 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 definitely. I left in two thousand and six, um, and then I think after that, then it was kind of focusing away from the horns. Why did you leave the band in two thousand six? Um, it's a it's a complicated story. Um, I was basically in a horrible relationship, but I was also yeah, it was, yeah, I left because I, I wanted to concentrate on Satori, but also there was a lot of stuff going on mentally uh, from like many different angles in my life at that time. So I was just like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't hang anymore because, uh, you know, being on the road constantly and like having a not so healthy mental space is not the best combination. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So I just kind of, yeah, just stopped and then tried to focus more on my own stuff. And then that evolved into where I am today. One last thing I wouldn't mind just touching back on is, um, yeah, this is for, you know, both of you guys, your perspective is when we're talking about struggle continues. Um, one thing I'm curious about is the sound is different, 
And so I'm kind of curious, I don't know if it's just specifically mm. the member changes or Ryan or what, but I'm, I'm curious your guys' insight in terms of getting to the point where this, the songs, you know, sound the way they sound on struggle continues, which sort of sounds like you guys had, you know, link 80 was the, the 17 reasons, the way that sounded with Nick and Matt and everything. And then you eventually became the struggle continues band which was more the, the lineup then I'm curious if that, what were the thoughts or what, what you think kind of led to you kind of gelling that sound? Mm, I think it was just literally trying to figure out what we wanted to do and, and working with Ryan was super new when, when we started writing for struggle continues. And uh, I honestly think it was us trying to figure out, what we were doing or like what direction we wanted to go and uh, what was going to work with, you know, what we had done with the past and like try to maybe make something that was cohesive with that, but also with the new member shift and everything. I remember we recorded it in Hayward. Is that right, Adam? Yeah. Art of Ears and Hayward with Andy Ernst. And I I remember it was a, a pretty positive experience uh, working it with with Andy, but as far as like I don't know if, if from what I remember I don't I don't remember putting too much thought into it. It was like we just were trying to write write songs and we were adjusting with with the new the new uh, lineup. I mean, it, I think it's a really good snapshot of just what the band mutated into through touring and through lineup changes. Because all that time on the on the road, I feel like that that informed a lot of our sound, especially because like all of our gear was pretty thrashed at that point. Like how how beat up was your sax, Steve? <laughs> I can I honestly can't remember, but I, I remember that you actually said in this podcast a few months ago that you remember that I my horn was being held together by rubber bands. Yeah. Like a hair tie, yeah. <laughs> but but I definitely remember that. Uh, my G sharp, I love my G sharp, man. It's uh that the, it, that was like the constant, uh, the key that was constantly messed up on all my saxophones is the G sharp getting stuck, and so I would just have to hold it like have this little rubber band that made sure it wasn't uh, messing up on me, so I couldn't play. But uh, yeah, we we played a show in Germany in like a weird kind of like bunker industrial space. And at the end of the set, this happened two different times. We played a show with like Come and Correct, and then this was just a show we were playing ourselves. Oh, yeah. The audience thought it was a fun idea to like rip up old magazines and have like a huge garbage bag of them. And then they and then they would throw it at us at the end of our set. Okay, I don't remember <laughs> that at all. And so there was like a chunk of magazine oh. that like adhered to the inside of your saxophone. Oh, so you could oh, look down. Yes. You could look down into the bell, and there was like a chunk. And let's of... see. Oh, yes. Now I remember. Yes, I do remember that. Now. That was one, and like you know, all the like condensation and sweat just like stuck it in there. Fun times. Yummy. Yeah, I'm definitely not the horn player who takes care of his horn as much as I probably should. All of our gear was thrashed. Yeah, so you have like thrashed gear. You you guys are on the road. This is kind of impacting the sound of the new era 
and we're, I think we're also listening to we're we're all listening to different music than the initial lineup did. Like yeah, they they all like listened to all the Gilman bands, and it was all very informed by the by the Gilman sound. And we were all listening to all sorts of weird stuff, weird metal stuff, Deftones, yeah, yeah, um, you know, stuff that had a, like a higher gain. I mean, that Training for Utopia record that Steve brought on tour, we listened to that a ton. That's wild. But uh, but you guys were super super into Earth Crisis. I remember that as well. Right. And Madball. Yeah. So very like hardcore leaning, but like almost with more of like a metallic, almost new metal in some ways. Yeah. Uh, slant. I remember one time us driving back from when I was staying with Liz in Sacramento, dri- driving back to you know to from practice with you, and we're like, hey, I have, I have the first corn record. <laughs> let's listen to it. It can't be that bad because everybody hated corn. Yeah. Like, oh, let's put this on. I bet you this is good. And we put it on. We're like, oh this is god. this isn't good. <laughs> it's, oh my god. Yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know how much we I, we weren't like defined. You know, we didn't really have a definitive direction that we were going. I think pretty much. In my and from from what I remember, yeah. If we had ever put out another record. It would have it would have probably landed closer to to where resignation was, but like in a in a more hardcore leaning slant. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's where our writing style was going. It was going very like Rocket from the Crypt meets At the Drive In. Oh, totally, totally. Are there songs that you guys were working on that didn't make it? Yeah, we're actually. I don't know if you guys say it. Uh, don't say it. We okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. Secrets, secrets for everybody. I guess we can we can say it. Whatever. Oh, okay. Big We're, reveal. Omnigon's recording recording one of the Link eighty songs that never Ooh, got released. A really good, a really good song. Yeah, it's a great song, and it's it's one that like we we had really kind of were doing all this weird stuff, and Barry had just joined the band like a year prior, and was kind of bummed that we weren't playing ska punk. and so he actually brought in a bunch <laughs> of a bunch of riffs that became a ska punk song. And, yeah. and that's the song that we we're re-recording now. Nice. But I, I feel like there was, and I, I can't totally recall, but I, I feel like there were a few songs that were never recorded that were, like, besides that song, that were really good as well. Yeah. So there was, towards the end of the band, we played a show in Rippin, um, and it was videotaped, and it was on YouTube for years in, like, two or three parts. And it had all those songs on it because we were not bashful about just playing songs live that nobody knew, which not yeah. the best move, but it made us happy. Um, so there was a tape for years of all those songs, and it since has disappeared from uh, YouTube. Right, and we didn't record it. So if anybody has a hard copy of that VHS and they're hearing this, um, please get at us because we would love to remember those songs. Exactly. But there was like probably seven to ten songs that never, never got recorded uh, properly. There were some good tunes, yeah. And I feel like that was definitely like the direction that we wanted to go. Yeah, it was definitely more our personality than struggle continues. I think, or more uh, definitive of what we our influence our influences were. Right, and and also with with the writing of struggle, we wrote a lot of the actual music when Stoney was in the band songs like addiction right. and face down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
were and resist were all written with Stoney in the band. So then Ryan sure. had to go through and reverse engineer a bunch of songs to make it work for him. Yeah, for sure. And add add his own lyrics to these songs and make them make sense. Exactly. The Lost Link Eighty album. Mm-hmm. The the Link Eighty album that never was. <laughs> but I would yeah I would be stoked if you know we revi- revisited some of those tunes because I th- I think they're really good. From what I remember, I don't know for sure, but I think they were good. Well, we'll find out if anybody uh, listening to this podcast uh, sends us copy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is I feel like at the time that we were in the band, you know, everything was either a a video camera or, you know, actual film to take pictures. So any pictures or video that I have from that era is really, are really precious to me. Um, Mm. There was actually a video on, on YouTube of, Link 80 and 97, the version with, with Nick still in the band playing in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, crazy. And I was thinking about it the other night and I went to go look for it and it's gone. Mm. Um, so, I mean, if anybody out there is listening and they've been waiting to <laughs> scan photos or upload video, oh, I'll get to this someday. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Even if it's, I'm not even talking about Link 80, just whatever you have of whatever bands meant something to you. Like it means the world to the people that, that did these things to be able to look back at these moments. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Cause you know, in this era it's so sporadic. So like, you know, a couple of things of my band have popped up out of nowhere and it's so random, the things that pop up and then you're just immediately like transported to that specific show or that specific night or whatever. And it's just like, it's so amazing. And you know, there's shows that that flat planet played that are really vivid in my head. And there's ones that I've kind of forgotten, but then like, if you see the footage of one of those forgotten, then it's like all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you just remember all these details that just weren't there before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's like a really cool thing to go through. I think one of the things I also just want to talk about really quick. Um, yes. I love that you FaceTime me, Steve. Yeah, really? I absolutely love it. I love that no, even though you live in Denmark now and we're both dads and we have our own lives, like we still, we still keep up with each other really well. I agree. Every time, every time you pop up on my phone, it's like no time has passed. It's amazing. So fun to get to talk to you and to get to joke around with you and to still have you in my life. I feel the same. And I'm, I'm super thankful to, uh, to be able to just, Click that button and uh, we can just be stupid together. It's so great. Because I need to be stupid sometimes. Then speaking of being stupid, I just want to talk about one other thing really quick. Oh, no. <laughs> Free, freestyling in the van. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, that was the way that we passed so, so many, hours. many hours. And it, it came to its peak on the Mist of of Scott tour. We were all in the, a, a, a van. ME330, uh, Chinkies, and Link 80. 17 people in a 16-passenger van. Yeah. And that was actually the best tour I've ever been on, for sure. Because having all those characters, and everyone was just down to have a, like, a really good time. Yeah. And we just freestyled for hours on end. And I remember Rob Bell's freestyles were so amazing. Rob Kellenberger, out of this world. Rob Kellenberger's genius so good rob should just straight up release a rap album but i seriously i i hadn't 
and I, I don't know if I've ever laughed as, as hard as like hanging out with Rob. <laughs> it's like I was just going to tears because it, he his sense of humor was amazing. What what do you, tell tell the story of him being in the hostel? Okay, so for some reason, okay, so we, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. Is this Rob Bell or Rob Kellenberger? This is Rob Kellenberger. Kellenberger. So okay. uh, we we were staying in a hostel, and uh, there you know, there's you just, there's that ladder for the bunk bed, and he had his head in between the. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, he had his head in between the. <laughs> he had his head in between the rugs, like like so. It's framed like a television screen. And for some reason, it was hilarious. He was saying the weed is a very bad thing, <laughs> and I don't know why. I seriously like almost like died of laughter. Well, you you and Ryan were a little bit tipsy or, or something, and 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 you guys would keep. You guys were crouched next to it, like like two kids in front of a we TV. We loved it. We were like total little kids, and, just like. And you guys up. would pretend. You guys would pretend to change the channel. <laughs> on the tv and then he would immediately go and like change to doing something else but i have zip zippy with the zip zip news oh my god that's it oh it's it's totally being a little kid and that's so amazing oh my god such good times and we were all just in hysterics this is what grown men do on tour I guess we were, yeah, I feel like I was a baby then, but uh, I think I was, I mean, it feels like a baby at this point, but like we were in our twenties. Yeah. 22. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. Thank you so much for listening to in defense of Scott. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at In Defense of Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarnes.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week so you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. 
How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.